In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by Natalie Edmondson, co-founder and executive director of the organization Berean Holiness, who shares about the damaging effects of growing up in a church culture defined by its members' stringent adherence to its extra-biblical standards and practices. The conversation in this episode is inspired by the topics and themes of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first-time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and on today's episode, I am joined by a very special guest, Today, I have Natalie Edmondson, who is a couple different things. I'll give you a moment in just a second here to, to say more about who you are. But I found you through your Instagram page for your organization called Berean Holiness. I think it was our, our two accounts have some shared mutual followers. So I think I saw a post that was shared from your account about, I think it was the difference between like distinguishing healthy and unhealthy churches, which I thought was so good. So I looked into your Instagram page further and it was just chock full of so many useful, helpful posts and information regarding helping people discern and distinguish and navigate unhealthy spiritual environments, beliefs, mentalities, practices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a lot more that I was intrigued by about your own personal trek of the I don't know, the Christian denominational experiential ethos, I guess, that I'm really not too familiar with. So I'm really excited to have you on to talk about it because there are definite distinguishable differences between your experiences and, and mine and a lot of my listeners. But yet, as is a recurring theme, there are so many aspects that I believe were really resonant for me. So I know are going to be really resonant across different Christian cultures. So. But before anything else, Natalie, thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. And I'm going to throw this first question at you pretty fast here because we need some background. For people who aren't aware, you grew up in a church that was part of a, a larger conglomerate of churches in a movement called the Holiness Movement. And I didn't know what the Holiness Movement was until I found your page. And... There's a lot of differences than my experiences, but a lot, also a lot of similarities. So without further ado, I would love it if you could give some more insight into what all that entails with this first question. To start off, why don't you give us a general overview of yourself and your background, particularly in regards to your church and faith journey? Sure, absolutely. So I grew up in what I have come to term hyper-fundamentalism. And that is not a term that these groups would use to define themselves. Okay. But basically, there are lots and lots and lots of groups who are super similar to the one that I grew up in, but we would never fellowship each other. We would all say the other ones are lost. Um, <laughs> and in most cases, we wouldn't even be aware of each other's existence. Hmm. Um, and this could go from the message and Branhamism, which is on one extreme where they literally put their 
leader's picture at the front of the church and he has a halo around his head. Oh no. Yeah, a little little bit cult like there in some of their churches. A little on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Only listen to his sermons. Mm-hmm. Um they don't even preach sermons, they just play his. So we have that kind of there there's that aspect of hyper fundamentalism and it goes all the way to oh, of course there's their two by two group. There's lots of oneness Pentecostals. I think some of your audience may have run across them just because there's millions of them. Sure. United Pentecostal Church, uh, ALJC, WPF, there's PAW, lots of oneness Pentecostal groups, but they're all in what m- almost all of them fall under the umbrella that I would term as hyper-fundamentalism. Hmm. And how I've come to define that or recognize the tenets of what I've termed hyper-fundamentalism is authoritarianism. So that's when you have like the man of God and he basically can say what he wants and it's almost yeah. added to the Bible for that congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of uh, leader worship, this kind of stuff to the point where you cannot cross-examine the man of God or that touch not mine anointed verse is going to be thrown everywhere. Right. So authoritarianism. Another one would be elitism. These groups, almost all of them think they are the one true church. Some of the one is Pentecostals. They'll say, we don't believe that. But that's only because <laughs> the other one is Pentecostal group that literally split off of their group is allowed to go to heaven, too, right. uh, if their standards <laughs> are tight enough. So, yeah. so a lot of elitism, like in my church, I mean, we would talk about where we have the full light, we have the full gospel, and maybe someone could get saved in a Baptist church. But if they mm. really get saved, God will lead them into our church. Right. So authoritarianism, elitism. Uh, another one is tribalism, and so I would think of that as the inappropriate loyalty to the group mm, to mm-hmm. the extent that I've had working through brand holiness of uh, fathers reach out to us who are distraught because the pastor's just kind of going off the deep end. Mm. But if he says to his family, like, hey, we don't believe this or we're going to find another church, the church will actually try to break up families. Hmm. And say, well, the the dad's out of line. And so now the pastor is the spiritual authority of the mom and kids. Oh, my gosh. It, it, it can be a total mess. And so that's what I'm talking yeah. about, inappropriate loyalty. And also just like this clannish, you can't cross-examine anything. It's kind of like the authoritarianism, but with the whole group. Yeah. And or basically it's <laughs> just everyone gets super upset if you question or cross-examine or anything like that. Um, and that also comes with a lot of group conformity. I would put that into the tribalism category as well, where we all try to fit a very particular mold. So a healthy group or a healthy church would have discipleship where, yes, we are encouraging one another to change, but we are pointing each other to Christ and conforming right. to the image of Christ. And that's going to look different for everyone. And so we're going to grow and mature as individuals, but we're still going to keep our same personality. We're still going to be right. ourselves and have our own identity. But in a group, you're being hammered to conform to the group image from Mm. everything from your personal taste to your appearance to your habits. They're trying to force you into the group mold and break Mm. your identity down until you fit the group. So, yeah, those are just a few of a few of the tenets. And then, of course, you have the extra biblical rules. And how that typically manifests is something called holiness standards. And they are actually different in every group. Some groups are so strict that they don't drink soda. Hmm. They don't um, wear neckties. Mm-hmm. Uh, the women have to, you know, keep their hair slicked back in a bun. They can't put their hair down. And I've been to, around some of those churches. Um, men have to, like, you know, on a dress shirt, there's that top, top button for men. Yeah. They have to button, yeah. they have to button that one. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's the worst one. <laughs> 
so yeah so there's there is that extreme of standards uh and then of course uh, Mennonites a lot of times fall into the hyper fundamentalism so you, you your audience is probably familiar with like the Amish and, and Mennonites yeah standards. we had uh, two Amish guests on an episode last season oh very mm-hmm. cool yeah, so it could range to that, but I'll say in my personal experience, what our standards looked like was absolutely skirts for women, mm. pants are an abomination, so that includes like <laughs> at night, um, pajama pants, short sleeves were super questionable, that mm. was like more the worldly people who want to show off their arms, Yeah. so you wear your sleeves to at least about here, past your elbow. And uh, no shorts for men, which was hmm. actually hard to understand because it, it changed in our group. So some some of the churches I went to, they would say women's skirts need to be like to their ankles too, and they'd be more consistent. But then in other fellowships that I ended up being part of, the women only had to wear skirts past their knees, hmm. and which, you know, is the same length as men's like the longer shorts. Yeah. And so we would ask, why do the women get to be more loose <laughs> than the men? Like, aren't women's yeah. abs more attractive? Which is a really weird, <laughs> really weird thing to think about. But that's subjective, okay? <laughs> but anyways, apparently it was. It, we never got a good answer. I can't even share mm. their answer because we never got a good answer yeah. on that. But it was just one of those weird, very inconsistent. Everyone knows it's wrong kind of standards. Um, absolutely no jewelry. So that includes, uh, wedding rings because this is idolatry. If you didn't know. Really? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Someone called me on my wedding day to remind really? me. Yes. To try to talk me out of having a ring ceremony with my husband. Um, hmm. and I'm just like, yeah, I've been there, heard that. Thanks. <laughs> um, and absolutely no makeup of any sort. Hmm. Uh, cause that's Jezebel. Of course. Of course. Oh, and no cutting hair. No movies, no TV, which they have changed. Wow. Just I've left, which is really annoying. Hmm. <laughs> now they change. <laughs> now they started watching movies. Backsliders. Yeah. <laughs> but definitely not. You can't go to a theater for sure. Hmm. It just goes on and on. And really, like, depending on what church, it might even be stricter. Sure. But yeah, that's that's where I that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. I mean, that's the word, right? Extra biblical. These loose connections in some way usually to some scriptural context of some sort but really goes way over the it's really interesting to me because i wasn't familiar with this whole holiness movement these holiness churches until coming across your guys's breen holiness page and it was so intriguing to me because i didn't know i practically knew nothing about that culture yet at the same time i mean my church experience while most of the standards you just talked about like were not things in my culture, at, at least to the overt, directly to your face level that they were for you, we had some of the, the undertones of those things. Plus a lot of extra, you know, maybe a little less absurd restrictions that were still extra biblical. But while they didn't go as far most of the time, the subtlety made it harder to discern. But it was really resonant seeing your posts and your experiences of these standards that were so much further in most cases, but yet still very relatable. There's a whole bunch of things, you know, looking back for me, these, you know, extra biblical standards that I seem normal then, but I look back and go, wait, you know, that the, the reasoning or excuse given for why that standard is in place was really three steps back in a progression of the connection made. Mm-hmm. And you were born into this holiness movement, correct? 
Yeah, I was okay. third generation, as they would say. So hmm. grandparents, parents, and my siblings all raised in it. Got it. And for you personally, growing up, I, I don't know, what was it like growing up in a culture with those kinds of standards? Like, mm-hmm. did it have, what kind of influence did it have on you, especially as like a, a young person? Sure. So I actually loved it. Um, Interesting. Really, okay. Yeah, I'm one of those yeah. weird people uh, that I'm a, at least used to be a super strict rule keeper. Mm. Um, I always want to be a perfectionist. So I was one of yeah. those kids like in, I, I homeschooled all the way through. And when I got to the higher maths, I had a broken home. So I didn't have the mm. support that I needed to figure out, you know, algebra two, this kind of stuff. And so when I realized that I wasn't going to get an A plus, I just quit. Yeah. Like, don't ask me how I got away with that. But I'm just like, mm, we're not doing higher maths. So yeah. yeah, no physics. I don't. I didn't make it through algebra one, through algebra two. Oh, I barely did too. So I understand. All yeah, all that. No biology for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like if if I can't be perfect, mm. then I don't want to do it. And so I actually really liked growing up holiness because it gave me the opportunity to be perfect right because not only could could i keep all these super strict rules and it didn't it didn't bother me at all because i never like i i didn't know what it was like to wear makeup so makeup wasn't something i wanted Mm -hmm. i didn't know what i was missing i guess so yeah so i I like growing up in that structure but how it did negatively affect me is it really affected my view of god because I saw God as a harsh judge who, if I so much as accidentally put on colored chapstick, would be angry with me. Yeah. And so how that played out is uh, me thinking that I had to earn God's favor. Mm. It was interesting. Not too long ago, my brother was talking. He said, and of course, he was raised the same way I was, Nathan. And he said his pastor had said something in a sermon. He goes to healthy church now that it just blew his mind and he shared it with me. Yeah. The litmus test of a healthy relationship with God is when we do something wrong and we're in trouble, do we run to him or away from him? Mm. And we were always, the culture was to run away from him in what we wow. grew up in yeah. because God is angry and we have to do all this stuff right. to appease him. So just to give a practical example of how that played out in my life, I remember as a teenager, if I had not prayed a significant amount of time that day and the days before. So when I say significant, like an hour a day is what we yeah. were, what was pressured onto us. And actually there was a summer where a preacher came in and he said, you need to give God 10% of your time, <laughs> which means two hours and 24 minutes a day. And for whatever reason that got turned into, you need to pray for two hours and 24 <laughs> minutes a day. Cause that's the only way we can give God our time. Right. right. Like Bible study doesn't mm-hmm. count. What's that? No. So, um, so I like when I was 15, I started praying two hours and 24 minutes a day and recording it on a calendar. Wow. And it was the worst. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a drudgery. I I learned to like just really not like prayer. To clock in and clock out like a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, what do you say for two and a half hours? Especially when you don't <laughs> right. feel connected to God and you don't feel like mm-hmm. you have a relationship and it's just more like you just have to say stuff. Yeah. Uh, that was the worst. So back to my story, if I didn't feel like I had met my goal that I'm supposed to do to be holy for the day, then I would go to church and we had a lot of prayer time in our services, like where you go up to the altar and you all kneel down and pray that kind of prayer time. And I would go up there with the whole church and kneel there 
and not say anything, not pray at all, because I wasn't worthy of praying in church Mm. if I couldn't pray at home. And I actually picked up some of that from sermons that said, you know, you only pray at church. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. So I'm not going to, if I don't pray at home, I won't pray at church. Right. And I had this idea that I had to like go back home and repent and cry and get back right with God Mm -hmm. before, you know, I could, I could even enjoy worshiping him or, or praying at church. And so it was a very skewed, very skewed view of God. Right. And, and once again, to reaffirm what I said before, it's although your experiences compared to mine personally are a few steps ahead, maybe in certain areas, in, in, in some of the scenarios, it's pretty much the same, but in others, it's a couple steps ahead, maybe in its overtness and directness. And therefore, the extremity of it. And we definitely didn't have as many of those more wild restrictions. But I think it's so resonant because the core is the same, which is this illusion of like all these different tangible things that are put in front of you in your way and told to you that their requirements and things you have to do in order to get to God they instead become obstacles that keep you from they him. They become barriers to him. Right, exactly. Like instead of becoming steps towards God, they become steps that you have to take in order to get to him or earn him or deserve to be with him. And each different requirement or step is a doorway. But then as soon as you unlock that door, there's another one three steps away. And it's that, that mentality of because we're imperfect people, when we find ourselves unable or insufficient to be able to succeed or do or be whatever that step or obstacle is we feel we deem ourselves unworthy to proceed closer to god because we've been told that if we can't do that then god maybe doesn't want us anyway or we're not worthy of it so we get stuck there and we just stay there and it's a shame thing right it's a lot of shame and shame Mm -hmm. is the undercurrent of so much the majority if not I don't know if I say all, but mm-hmm. the vast, vast majority of these underpinnings and things that keep us from God is that shame that we take on and are most often, you know, presented with and given because we're told that our insufficiency and our imperfection makes us not enough for God as we are. And it's not enough to gain God's favor, which puts it all on us. Mm-hmm. And we're not perfect, so we're not going to achieve that standard. Mm-hmm. Thus, we will never be enough for God. Thus, all the shame that you can't alleviate yourself from until you alleviate yourself of that mentality of God wants me to be here at this place, but I'm only back here. But he wants me to be here, and I'm not. But yeah, that's so interesting to me. And it, and it makes sense, too, that you know, growing up in that with those mentalities, it can become, well, you can really thrive in that if that's your personality and it can become a goal or a mission to achieve those things, right? Here's a question kind of going off that. You were mentioning, right, that phrase holiness standards, which is what your church in the holiness movement, they called these, all these extra biblical rules. They were holiness standards, standards that equated your holiness. So growing up, Were there any specific 
holiness standards that you may or may not have already mentioned that you were personally confronted with that were especially prevalent or influential or damaging? What are the most damaging? Ah, that's hard. Yeah. Um, hmm. There were, I, I don't, I, it's hard to, to pick it apart and say this one instead of that one because they, they kind of came as a package deal. Sure. I will say that the one that was the most drilled into our heads that's like sometimes the worldly churches will give you grace on like a wedding ring or something but this is the standard that mm. everyone agreed with um and that was the pants one yeah. and particularly jeans women's jeans for some reason that was like the pinnacle of abominable hmm. and they actually called it an abomination and it was just like that seals your fate if you wear pants <laughs> and i actually asked questions about why is it wrong for women to wear pants and it was legitimately not adding up to me as a teenager and someone screamed at me (laughs) and tried to cast a demon out of me so that was the that was definitely the unquestionable standard yeah i'm pretty sure the demon's name was was levi levi jeans um you had mentioned to me that going along the lines of these holiness standards that growing up, purity culture was, I mean, I can already connect the dots and imagine that it was a very prevalent mm-hmm. thing growing up. So just generally, go wherever you want with this. What, what was your experience with purity culture? Okay, well, I'm gonna have, I think I'm going to have fun talking about this because I don't get to do so often. Good. And it's going to resonate for sure with my audience too. So That's awesome. Yeah, so of course we had all these super standards for women. So no makeup, yep. no jewelry, no like the I don't even like to use the word modesty because I feel like it's yeah, it's it's not used correctly. Mm-hmm. That's not what the biblical definition is. But I think your your audience will understand when I say modest what that means in these church cultures. It's like super clothed. Right. Um, so we definitely had those standards. I mean, like I said, your your sleeves were supposed to be long, all this stuff. And so it definitely was reinforcing that idea of, you know, it's, it's on like men cannot help, but just lust after you. And so you have to stay super covered. Mm -hmm. And so of course that puts the weight on the women's shoulders and and all this that we understand who have disentangled from it. But one kind of creepy way that that ended up impacting our social circles is that it made men hypersensitive hmm. to things we we sexualize things that should not have been sexualized yes. like elbows we were <laughs> even i have been heard it multiple times that elbows are a reminder of women's anatomy it's really weird and i want to show a perfect parallel but it was just like yeah creepy okay so but when you when you grow up with that and then you see a woman's elbow like that was that's what pops in your head just imagining her right because because you've been taught that that's what equates to it so right stupid it was so stupid um but so another way that played out is we were told that women's pants draw attention to their backside so that's why you have to wear skirts for whatever reason yeah men's pants fine fine. yeah (laughs) i guess this women could control our minds better (laughs) right yeah but yeah women's pants that's that's just where your thoughts are gonna go so we all had to wear skirts well what happened though 
is that when I started, you know, studying the Bible and realizing this is the Bible does not say that like men wear tunics and women wear something totally different. Both men and women in the Bible wore the same kind of clothing with some, you know, distinctions in the style and the cut because our, yeah, we're different. Yeah. So um, when I started realizing the Bible gives liberty for us to wear the same kind of clothing and I start to share that with my male friends and this was actually after I'd even left um but was still in contact with some people yeah there was oh one preacher who was really concerned and he said Natalie I'm just going to be real with you from a guy's perspective and he was being genuine sure so it's terrible and funny but I'm not trying to make fun of him yeah I got to be real with you from a guy's perspective. It is so hard to worship in a church where women are wearing pants. <laughs> it's so hard. You just get distracted. You can't think about the Lord, your mind, you're fighting oh, that lust. Poor guy. And I'm just sitting there going, oh my. Uh, yeah. It did bother me at the time as a young woman. I'm like, really? Like, you can't worship in a church where all the women aren't wearing skirts because this right so i started i had some friends by that time that were not holiness and so i asked some of those guys i said okay this is the weirdest question ever but does it distract you like would in a church like would you not be able to worship because because i knew they went to churches where women wear pants right yeah i'm like is that is that really a problem for just guys in general they like laughed me out of the room <laughs> yeah. it's ridiculous yeah. but i say that to say I think our holiness culture actually made men hypersensitive to things yeah. that should not have should not have been sexualized. Uh, they were, and so yeah, that was a that was a big problem. But going a little bit more into the purity culture, so I was also a homeschooler. Um, okay, so same. We had those, yeah, we had those that intersection of like the crazy hyper fundamentalist church and homeschooling. Um, mm. And I love homeschooling, and I'm Lord willing going to homeschool my kids a little bit differently, but still. A little differently, um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is not a knock on homeschooling, but you know how fundamentalist the homeschooling circles can be sometimes. Oh, sure. So, and I was in, uh, there was actually not that many, well, holiness people were kind of scattered few and far between. So we, I mean, we had to drive over an hour to church and a lot of those people were, I, interestingly enough, in public school, even though they're super strict. Yeah. So we were some of the only homeschoolers. So we had to go find the fundamentalist Baptists to go be in their homeschool group. Mm. So they're like the fundamental Baptist with like 14 kids per family, mm -hmm. that circle, which love those people, but you can just imagine some of the purity culture stuff. Oh yeah. So I'm, I'm getting it like from both sides of my social circle. So just to give an example of like how that I have my kid journal here. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I started yeah. This when I was 12 and here's a, here's an entry from 2009. I only thought to grab this journal right before this started. So I have not read this entry yet, but I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. So December 13th, I need to create an accurate definition for the word dating. How about this dating? And I like put it like how you would see in a dictionary with the special pronunciation to yeah. noun. I was a homeschooler. Noun. <laughs> <laughs> and then definition one, dating in the greater percentage of cases forces those who practice it to abandon all natural characteristics and mm. to acquire false, unusual attitudes, appearances, and temporary lifestyles 
that they may obtain the favor of those who they are striving to please. <laughs> wow. It uh it goes on. I have a whole like I ended up dedicating this journal to how terrible the you don't have this it's not on visual but if it was like yeah. i could show the pages and they're like all some, some of this is like all capitalized and underlined and <laughs> exclamation points just trying to help people understand i don't even understand this entry but anyways a very short march 18 2010 do you know that if the boyfriend girlfriend philosophy had existed in narnia there would be no narnia um <laughs> And I, I I see that the next entries, I'm trying to explain that they all would have ended up in relationships and not been able to work together. And wow, I, I mean, I really stretched things, um, but it was evil. That's the point. And you were 12 here. Yeah. Those are some very intentionally thought out things for 12 years old, really. Well, then I have like. Uh, reading through my entries, I realized I've given no solid argument for why the boyfriend-girlfriend philosophy is unbiblical. I would like to do so now by playing a simple kid's game. Connect the dots. First, let's find a pattern. Then we'll trace it and see the picture. Hmm. Close your eyes and imagine a boy. Let's call him. And I just, I went through this whole story of, it's, it's very long, so I won't read it, but of a girl sure. and a girl and guy who fell in love and then they had to break up and marry someone else. And my point was that they were training for divorce. And if mm. you date and break up, then your marriage will fail. Yeah. I, I did actually get more sophisticated and try to make arguments and logic. I didn't just make weird assertions. But um, I should stop trying to defend my 12-year-old sense of logic. It wasn't that great. <laughs> but all that to say, like, I became very passionate that the boyfriend-girlfriend game was, that was the corruption of the church, man. So how that ended up, playing out in my own life is that I just would not I would not like guys I would mm -hmm. not there was crushes were terrible because they were yep. irrational um they were dependent on emotions all this stuff yeah so like you don't have crushes you don't like guys and so I I grew up like that um you don't talk to guys and not in at least the talking sense you're just kind of generally friends in a big group and that got me in a world of trouble later because sure. when I'm a late teenager in Bible school, I still don't believe in you should not be girlfriend, boyfriend. You should not date because that's wrong. You need to court because that's biblical. Right. Well, it's kind of messed up when you have a broken home. And so you can't actually, you know, have that person in your home or it, it, it doesn't work when you both don't have this perfect family model where your families can uh, interact like you're supposed to do in courtship or, or whatnot yeah so all that to say i finally get into my first relationship but how that played out for me because like i said i already had all this i, I was already so biased right. against any kind of dating or girlfriend or boyfriend and i really hadn't been given a better system i had yeah. just been given all that's bad and wrong and dirty so I hyper-spiritualized that first relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean, hyper-spiritualized. Makes sense. Like, you don't talk to the person until God reveals to you that that's who you're going to marry. Because wow. you have to marry the first person, right? Because otherwise, you just right. set yourself up for divorce. So, yeah. So, I was looking for signs and wonders. I was looking for miracles. 
uh, I had somebody interested in me and it's just like, okay, so now I'm in the fire and water revival and like we're burning stuff in the bonfire and trying to give this interest in each other to God and just became mm. weirder and weirder, but we're not talking right? because that would like skew our view. And so when you, when you just, and I had a very strict Bible school too. Um, when I say very strict, like the girls went off campus to do their laundry in town on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And the guys were allowed to go off campus to do their laundry on Mondays and Wednesdays. Like we <laughs> were not allowed to leave the Bible school at the same time. Yeah. And then on the campus, you you couldn't talk to each other unless it was like mealtime or if you're in the same class. Sometimes you have those 10 minute breaks where the teacher is there and you, you can get a little banter in. So it was very uh, cracked down on. And of course, uh, absolutely no touching of any sort. The 12 inch mm-hmm. rule. And yeah. that means you can't shake hands. You can't even give a high five or a fist right. bump. Um, so very strict school. So we're already in this strict school that keeps the guys and girls very segregated. Like whether it's a church or in the classroom, we sit across the aisle from each other. Yeah. And then we're just in the super spiritual phase because it's Bible school. So um, all the prayer and the fasting and uh, and I love Bible school. Not gonna lie, yeah, but. Sure you're just super, super charged with all this spiritualism and emotionalism. Honestly, is what it usually was. Right. It's true. <laughs> and so, and then you can't talk to that other person. So what that looked like was um, you kind of fantasize, you fill in sure. the, and, and I mean that in a wholesome way, like you fill oh, yeah, yeah. in uh-huh. the, the blanks because you don't know the person. You just see. They're not a real person to you. They're not tangible. They're just an idea. They're an idea. Like you, like this, like, I know this guy likes me and I just, I can look out my dorm room window and watch him walk into the library and go to the guy's section of the library, of course. Um, <laughs> and I'm just imagining what he's like. And I'm just imagining he's, you know, has these great character traits and great virtues mm-hmm. and I fill in the blanks in my own mind and don't even realize it because I wasn't able to talk to that person. So, oh, and all this because it's bad. Like, it's just, we're just told that that, like relationships are just bad. And that was definitely something that the school intentionally or not ingrained into us in order to talk to someone like for a guy and a girl to be able to like, for example, sit at a separate table in the dining hall together or go to what we called social hour together, which was certain times during the week where you could go and socialize in this little cafe for like 25 (laughs) minutes. Anyways, this kind of, in order to have those privileges, quote unquote, to be in a relationship was what it was supposed to be. You Mm -hmm. had to have social papers that your parents signed, his (laughs) parents signed, your pastor signed, his pastor signed, and the president of the school signed. Oh my gosh. Oh, the pressure, You had to man. have all those signatures to talk to each other. Wild. And of course, some people Wild. went behind their backs, but I'm a rule keeper, right? Yeah, right. But then it was so much pressure because it's like, okay, but then we're in a relationship, right? Like if Then we're locked the- in. Yeah, and um, it was kind of a mess. So what ended up happening is we did all this, and I, I talked about how, you know, we just thought it was all bad because I wanted to talk about, we had this idea of fasting each other which is kind of crazy when you're not even talking to each other. But then there's this idea that it's super spiritual to just ignore each other and focus on the Lord and pray (laughs) about each other. Even if you live on the same campus where you're inevitably going to see each other across the aisle quite a bit. Right. And I bring this up because I've actually run into other couples since that they were like, oh, yeah, we heard that, too. We heard that would be good. Um, It was horrible. (laughs) What that meant is like the other person 
literally would, you know, might walk into the sanctuary and I see the other person there. And of course, we both have to be here for some school function. And they turn their face away and walk the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Like I am scum of the earth. That's what it looks like to yeah. fast each other. It was it was emotional just torture. When how you felt about each other was so opposite of that. Yeah, but then you don't even know how the other person feels because right. for weeks you're just ignoring each other. And that's super spiritual. It's supposed to be super spiritual. It was so backwards. But long story short, skipping into how it finally, okay, okay, so what do I do when you don't you can't actually date, right? Yeah. So I went on spring break, saw this person's like cousins, family, was with their cousins and family. They were staying somewhere else, of course. Yeah, But they came to visit, and we finally went on a first date, you could call it, though we wouldn't have called it that. Sure. Um, And of course, it was chaperone, because we believe chaperones all the way, 100% of the time. We're supposed to have two. We ended up only having one. (laughs) So where do you go on a a spiritual date? You go to church. Of course you (laughs) do. (laughs) We go with our adult chaperone to church, and the guy preached the message for the church, and I sang for the message and then afterwards we went out to eat with of course the adult chaperone and the pastor of the church oh no the pastor's wife so that's what a first date looks like oh my gosh then after that we go back to the church and this other person says they need to talk to me Mm -hmm. and so we're sitting outside the church um while you know the chaperone's watching us and we're at this supposedly was a prayer wall where they prayed for their future wife super super spiritual and at some point in this conversation I I was told you didn't answer me and I say answer answer what I'm sorry did I miss there was a question Mm -hmm. and he said will you marry me oh no first date (laughs) y'all oh no we did not have each other's phone numbers at the time you didn't know his last name (laughs) And of course, there's no there's no rings because we don't do rings. So right. there was a Bible, a Bible with my first name engraved in it and his last name. Oh, my God. That's how we do engagement gifts in uh, holiness. So here you had that ready, too. Yeah. Yeah. So that had to be done before the first date. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh. So I'm sitting there going, like, what on earth? And, of course, I'm, like, super spiritual trying to, like, trust sure. God and, like, lean on the spirit and all this yeah. spiritual mumble jumble. Like, you wanted a sign. Here it is. Your name on <laughs> a Bible. Yeah. And so I've I've skipped all this, like, stuff I thought God revealed to me, showed me signs that happened previously and all that yeah. very spiritual fasting time. But because I thought God was, like, positively dealing with me, but there was... There was one time that I really felt impressed. I don't know if this was God or not, but looking back, maybe it was in his mercy. Sure. Um, that he had really impressed on me. Wait, like not a yes, not a no, but just wait. Mm. And I really felt like wait three years, which sure. is kind of weird. Yeah. But anyway, so I'm now I'm sitting here being proposed to and I'm just like on the first date. And I'm just like, well, what about this whole wait three years? But this right. other person, like God's shown him, God's revealed to him, God's et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then he starts speaking in tongues. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. And so I start speaking in tongues because I was a Pentecostal at the time. Uh-huh. Not where I am theologically currently. Sure. But so we're speaking in tongues. It's like super, super spiritual and praising the Lord. I have video from the adult chaperone of us like, 
you know, with our hands in the air, praising God. Oh, so they were they were there still, of course. Of course, you can't leave us alone. Right. You don't oh, know what would gosh. happen. So, right. You start so, speaking in tongues. Yeah. <laughs> and we're outside even, but still. And then the other person said, well, well, let me clarify. This is not this is not the real engagement hmm. because I'll have a much nicer. I'll have a more expensive gift for you then. And this is not the real engagement. But if I were to I, I really feel like it was something along the lines of like God's revealed that you're my wife. And so yeah. it's like, but when I do get to propose to you, what will your answer be? And so when it was phrased like that, when it was phrased like a hypothetical question, right? then I took a long pause and I said, well, I'm, I'm a fallible human being, but as much as I can know, I, I think that basically that God will have me say yes in that mm. future proposal. Because right now we have to go through Bible school, right? Because yeah, sure. um, God's will is always to graduate Bible school. Of course. <laughs> in case you didn't know that. Um, but anyway, so I answered a hypothetical question. We get back in the vehicle with the chaperone and going to drop us back off at our places. And the other person starts talking and I'm just I'm sitting there going, wait, hold on. Because remember, I'd only ended up answering that hypothetical question when right. it was worded hypothetically. And mm-hmm. so I look at him and I go, are we engaged? You know, just based off what he just said. Sure. And he goes, yes. Of course we are. And of course. And you remember I had did not know this person, but this is where this is where the the whole the extreme purity culture mm-hmm. really came back to bite me is that you can only be in one relationship. Mm. And so now I'm already in a relationship. Right. And so this really needs to work. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> I look back and I'm just shaking my head, going, did I not realize that if I did not knowingly consent? That that if I just answered a hypothetical question, that's that's not. But no, in that moment, I'm like, okay, if he says we're engaged, we're engaged. Yeah. And this is what's crazy. I had in my head that I could not argue with him about whether or not we were engaged because that would be insubmissive as a woman. Sure. And I did not want to start my very first and supposed to be only relationship with insubmission. Mm-hmm. So even though. I had in my head like, mm, that's that wasn't right. Right. I didn't say anything. But what I did say instead is, well, we're gonna keep it a secret, right? <laughs> right. Because it's, we are secret engagement because it's not the real engagement because right. that's two years down the road when you have like a fancy gift and we're almost done with Bible school. And the answer was, Are you ashamed of me? Oh gosh. And I was just like, uh, and that person said, we're going to go back to Bible school and we're going to announce it to the whole school. Oh, my gosh. dude! And so I'm just sitting there going, OK, I guess I'm going to embrace this. I mean, what do you say? Right. So we were engaged without without ever being boyfriend, girlfriend, without ever saying I love you, without ever having each other's phone numbers. Man. And I look back on it and, you know, I, I don't I'm not going to publicly judge that person's intention or motive no. I, I don't know what i don't know what was in his mind right i'll say that and so i can assume all the best that that was legitimately sure. what he thought god wanted him to do and how god wanted him to do it and maybe he did not mean to be anything negative but 
nevertheless, intentions good or not, it was manipulation. Mm -hmm. And I look back on it now and I'm going, that was just spiritual manipulation. Yeah. And wow, that was that was so not good. Yeah, that went for about two years and just a long story short, it ended super, super, super painfully. Surprise, right? Surprise. And I look back and I'm just like, oh man. And but we were set up for failure. Right. Oh, ironically, yeah. by trying to be super spiritual. Right, exactly. Set up for failure by doing what you were told was being super spiritual, but was really just overtly hyper extra biblically spiritual. Ugh, oh man, I had a lot of thoughts. Uh, up until the engagement story, I was thinking a lot about and resonating a lot about just the dynamics between guys and girls in these types of church environments. And once again, my thought was, yes, while your church environment was more overt in these teachings, was a little more strict and rigid and extreme, and, you know, my, I grew up in a non-denominational Christian church in, in, in L.A., mm -hmm. so it was more subtle and behind the scenes. But it was so interesting to me hearing you talk just once again how similar the fruit was of that kind of environment. It was almost identical, mm -hmm. despite such stark differences in the outward, overt appearance of how these teachings were kind of presented. But in my church growing up, it was the exact same thing where you tell everyone to sit down, you know, in, in, you know, elementary through high school. And the majority of the times it would be split directly down the middle where guys would be sitting on one side, girls on the other. Mm -hmm. It wasn't told us to do that, but that was just because of the environment. That's where we naturally decided to go to because it was easier. And because of how that culture discouraged guys and girls from interacting for a plethora of different reasons, there was just that pressure and weight, especially when there would be an opportunity, a fleeting moment to interact with a member of the opposite gender, there'd be so much pressure. Mm -hmm. So most of the time we just either make a fool out of ourselves or just fold and not interact. So we really didn't train those muscles or gain that emotional maturity with engaging the opposite gender. And because of that, because you haven't worked out and experienced and learned the right way to go about it when it's time in you know, society or your church or the adults tell you, oh, it's time to get in a relationship. The first way presented to you as, oh, the right spiritual way to do this is going to be the one you accept because mm -hmm. you haven't learned otherwise. And you don't realize till later how unhealthy or wild or out there that route and way to navigate that relationship was because the margins have been so warped. If I can go on and on, I have so many thoughts about this, but I have another question for you kind of following that up. And it kind of revolves around the idea of how in touch you were with yourself and how much you trusted yourself growing up. I know for me and, and my peers growing up, amidst, you know, purity culture and all the other kind of legalistic, structural, you know, more shaming, less grace imp implications, we were just taught that, you know, we were our own worst enemy and we couldn't trust ourselves amidst this stuff. Mm -hmm. And instead of imbuing us with the idea that, oh, God's grace has got you covered no matter what you do. It was more of, oh, you're always, you know, one step away from really making a mistake you can't earn back and can't get back from. And when you're young, you know, the area that this is most prevalent in is usually guy-girl dynamics. So my question to you is, and I think I have a pretty good idea already, 
but but how prevalent was that that issue of trusting yourself and being in touch with yourself for you growing up? Oh, very, very, very much. And actually, so so people, you know, with the strict rules that we had, people knew that it looked like we could not trust young men and women whatsoever. Sure. And so that was actually addressed. And the way that it was addressed was it's not that we don't trust you. We don't trust the devil. And right. but what does that say? That says that the devil is so powerful over men and women, children of God, that if we're alone in a room together, the devil is going to make us, you know, oh, yeah. be inappropriate. Uh-huh. No, we we did not trust ourselves. And and that also played into my story where I'm just I'm just a basket case. I'm like panicking that whole up until the engagement and in the engagement. I was just like, I did not trust myself to yeah. know who I should marry. And I went to many, many different leaders and authorities that I trusted and talked to them. I had long talks with women and preachers and be like, this is the situation. This person seriously interested me. Of course, we're not talking. We're doing everything right. Right. But should I marry them or not if, if they ask? And those leaders, again, maybe with great intentions, but so yeah. unhelpful, would just say, oh, just pray about it. Just pray mm-hmm. about it. We can't speak into your life. Just pray about it. Terribly enough, when it did go terribly wrong, there were also some people that came back into my life and were like, oh, I knew that was going to happen. Which was, oh, well, thanks. Oh, I was irate. I'm just like, she wouldn't have listened. And I would have listened because I was so, so distrusting of myself and my own judgment. Yeah. And honestly, I wasn't even using my own judgment to some extent. Mm. I was trying to like feel for this vague Holy Ghost going to tell me what to do. And so I was like trusting intrusive thoughts, basically, right, yeah. because we got those confused with the Holy Holy Ghost. Uh-huh. And so, oh, goodness. And I, I honestly think that that's even why I didn't stand up for myself and say, no, we're not engaged because... I did not answer an honest question. I didn't understand that that hypothetical was going to be switched afterward after I answered it to not be hypothetical. Um, I didn't stand up for myself because I didn't trust myself. Mm-hmm. And so I trusted what the other person got from the Lord, how the Lord led that person, et cetera, et cetera. What, yeah. Yeah, what had been impressed on his heart because I didn't trust myself. Absolutely. It was almost a, a deferment of your judgment in a way to whatever someone told you God's will was. Mm-hmm. And it's that contention of, oh, my gut, my heart is making me feel this way. But everyone around me is saying that that's God's will. So I must be wrong. I can't trust myself. I got to go with what they're saying God is telling me instead of what I feel God is telling me. Well, and that was prevalent through our entire culture because yeah. that's how they um, enforced a lot of the holiness standards. Because if someone said, right. well, I don't see that in the Bible. Where's jewelry taught against in the Bible? Or where's makeup taught against in the Bible? They would say, well, you can't trust yourself. Your heart is deceitful. Right. Who can know it? And trust your pastor. So it was mm-hmm. always trust someone else. And so instead of, you know, learning to have good judgment, learning to have discernment, learning to apply the scripture, which takes practice. Sure. And in order for people to practice, you've got to give them, you got to give them some leeway. They've got to be able to even make mistakes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're so, your behavior is so managed from the outside in, 
that you just, you never develop those muscles. You never learn how to make decisions for yourself or to apply wisdom because you don't, you never have the opportunity. You're so, you're so used to depending on someone else for everything, especially everything spiritual, which is really dangerous. And that's how cults start. It creates an entire group of people who are completely dependent on whoever's above. Mm -hmm. And they really don't operate independently. Everything they do is in the direction of whoever's calling the shots at the top. Okay, so after talking about all of this, I'm curious now to know what the process was like of you discovering and discerning and coming to terms with the fact that your church really wasn't as healthy as you thought it was and maybe what the process was of you deciding to finally leave because of those discernments. Yeah, so um, it started. So originally... Um, when I was a preteen, I had what I would call a gospel of standards where hmm. I didn't even understand the biblical gospel. I would go up to a lost person and I would start telling her that, did she know that in the Old Testament, they used jewelry to make the golden calf. So her wearing jewelry was idol worship. Like I literally, I'm telling you a literal story <laughs> and it was cringy. And, and that won her over. She was in. <laughs> Thankfully, she was mature enough to laugh at me mm. and let it go and not let that represent Christianity, I hope. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, uh, so I had, yeah, my, my gospel was standards. I didn't go share Jesus in the cross. I went and shared jewelry and makeup. Right. Um, it was really pathetic. And some of that reflects on me um, because our churches would have technically taught the gospel, but we didn't emphasize the gospel. And so it does reflect on the church that whether or not they technically taught it, that was the takeaway of the youth was standards right? and not Jesus. So, yeah. But when I became older, I was close to my older brother, Nathan. He went away to West Point to the military academy uh, where he did not have a holiness church to go to. Mm-hmm. And he was surrounded by really strong Christian men. He found some good godly fellowship there who were not holiness yeah, and really challenged him to dig in and study and pay attention. Cause as a guy, he'd kind of been able to coast through because you know, he didn't have to follow the standards, but then he became the age of, he wants to get married. So is he, does he have to choose a holiness wife? Does he have to require mm. his wife to follow all these standards? So he started digging in and studying. He started sharing what he was learning with me. I panicked <laughs> because my brother was my stable person in a mm-hmm. broken home. So I had to keep him saved. So to rescue him, I did a deep dive. I just went in just anything I could find on holiness standards. I went and read it, trying to argue my brother back into the standards because I knew he was a pretty logical person. He just got mixed up, you know? Uh So it was that process, though, of trying to talk him back into believing standards or even just keep him in when he started to question It was that process of studying for me that my heart sank and I realized, oh no, this is not good. (laughs) And I was not studying a cross-examination. I was not even looking at both sides. I was only looking at the holiness arguments aside from the little, like my brother was saying, and just studying the holiness arguments for our holiness standards, I realized this does not make sense. For example, Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in our den in the office chair and looking at the computer an article by a holiness minister saying that men and women absolutely must have such gender distinct clothing that you can tell across the field, uh, like with the story of Isaac, that you can immediately tell that's a man or that's a woman by their clothing Mm. when they're way off in a field at dusk. And I 
kind of sat there and go went okay then why do we hand out unisex t-shirts at our youth camps and i just remember like i wasn't trying to get out of standards no so because i was trying to keep them and defend them my heart just sank it's just like oh no this makes no sense and um so i just kind of carried that as a secret inside yeah and didn't tell people what i believe because i love my life i love my world um and i didn't care to break any of the standards i didn't want to so i was very happy and that's a that's a scary moment when especially when you don't want to see the cracks the moment you go from fully believing everything and wanting to to still wanting to believe everything but then realizing that there's things that you don't believe it, you don't agree with, because there's no going back. You can't will yourself to unthink that or not believe or disagree with something that you disagree with or believe. So it's scary because now you have that whether you want it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I lived with that for about eight years and I Mm. wanted to be a reformer. I wanted to change the movement from the inside out, not even standards. I just wanted us to have outreach. Sure. I just yeah. wanted us to actually share the gospel, to win souls to Jesus, to do community outreach, and just these things that were just so absent from our faith community. I wanted yeah. to have Bible studies. We did not have that. I mean, we really did not have that. No community groups. Those were worldly. So this was, and because of that, you know, we didn't have accountability, this kind of stuff. So that that's what I wanted to change. Not standards. I didn't even care. At the time, I couldn't see how they were hurting us. Right. I could only see that we need to be sharing the gospel and we don't do that. So that's what I was trying to reform. Um, So I went to Bible school, like I've already talked about. Then after Bible school, I was still engaged. And we were, the the long-term plan that we had shared with people, where we were going to go to Russia. Um, He in particular felt a calling to Russia. I'd always just loved Russia. I was always fascinated with it. And I'd wanted to do European missions in general. And I had gone on uh, missions trips to the Philippines and South Korea, later other places. And so I, we were going to be missionaries. That was, that was the plan. (laughs) So we were working towards that and trying to find connections and think about potential supporters and, you know, how's that going to play out, this kind of stuff. But so I ended up going to Albania, serving there as a volunteer tour to missionaries who were who were there um, permanently. And mm-hmm. I was just going for a few months to serve them and help them. And then I backpacked Europe. But I'm trying to decide. I think I have to kind of tell just a tad bit more of the engagement sort of for this to make sense. Sure. No, go for it. I was doing all this while we were in this very very spiritual we were like very spiritual spiritual (laughs) uh, phase of we don't talk to each other even though we're going to get married we don't talk to each other that's so interesting that was horrible and that started so we did this for a few months while we were definitely engaged and then I started hearing from other people that we were no longer engaged. From other people. Oh, no. From other people. Yeah. Um, and I had graduated Bible school. and My life was just kind of on hold. I was doing some college courses and trying to work and live on my own while I waited for him to graduate. And so um, my life is just kind of on hold waiting for, you know, our future together. And I start hearing from other people that we are not engaged which really frustrated me. And we were supposed to be like writing letters at least once a month to each other. And, but at this point I was 
starting to get a sick feeling about the whole thing. And so I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm going to wait for you to write me first. And it was this really pathetic picture of this very young woman going to the mailbox every day and not getting that letter and mm. just feeling sicker and sicker with every day that passed without that letter. Yeah. And so months went by and again, started hearing those rumors, tried to clear up those rumors that we were very much engaged and we were just totally focusing on God right now. And still just really confused though, because I didn't even agree with this at the time. I'm just, again, trusting someone else's judgment that this is yep. what God wants, even though it felt horrible. And so finally I do, I, I end up calling the other person, even though I was not supposed to do that Yeah, and being like, what am I hearing? Like, this is, this is too much. Um, and finally I heard it from a credible source that we were not engaged. So that's when I did call them. And I'm like, you got to, you got to tell me. Right. And I'm like, when were you going to tell me? And he's like, well, I guess now. Gosh. And so it was this, it was this very, very spiritual, um, the Holy Ghost fell on me and so-and-so mm. preacher was praying for me. And we just, we shouldn't be engaged right now. This should be a season of like healing and restoration and growing. Of course. And so I'm just like, okay, so what does this mean for us? And it's like, well, you got to trust God. You got to totally trust God because God told us we're going to get married. So totally trust God. And the, the, the thing was, the narrative was at the time that we still deeply loved each other and we were still going to get married because when God says something, he means it. Mm. But we just couldn't be engaged at that time. What I was told was, it's not right. It's not right for us to be engaged and not speaking to each other. So since we're not speaking to each other, we shouldn't be engaged. Oh, and I man. was told that it was, I was told that you didn't get your secret engagement, but you can get your secret. This is a secret disengagement. <laughs> and we don't have to tell anybody that we're not engaged. Great. We're just Trusting the Lord and we can't speak to each other, but God, uh -huh. just trust God, just trust God. And I was told like, you know, I deeply, deeply care for you kind of stuff. And now we're not talking again. Right. So this whole like, right. super vague, um, there was some more vaguity and ambiguous communications that happened after that, that I'll skip for brevity. Sure. But it was still, it still all ended in this mysterious fog of, we just have to totally trust God with our future and that other person was in a season of singleness where God was developing and growing that person. Mm -hmm. And I just, it might be five years before we could get married, but it was all, I was originally told that it was all, it wasn't to, to all this not talking wasn't about not getting married. It was about in order to get married someday, mm. we had to do this because if we took the way of our flesh and just focused on each other, like God would take back his promise. But if we mm. just trusted him, focused on him, then he would fulfill his promise. That was what I understood. Yeah. So I went to go do missions work on that pretense and just this very, it was really, really weird because I was told, and by this time, I'm also being told by like counselors and other people, the more you trust God and let it go and let him go, let the other person go, the more likely it is that God will fulfill his promise and you'll be married. Oh, gosh. But I was in this okay. really, really weird, weird yeah. state where it's like, I have to not love you in order to get to marry you. I have Ugh, to like yeah. let, totally let you go and just surrender it all to God in order to get to marry you. So what that meant is like the feelings never, I was, I was never given the liberty to let those feelings go. 
mm. because it was always we're but we're still going to get married and you can't right feel your feelings for someone that you are trusting god mm-hmm. to yeah you, you see and, and real quick at this point did you want to marry him or did you not want to marry him where were you with all that at, at this point i was sold okay and that was because i am an extremely committed person sure. to a fault like yeah. it's it's come back to bite me a few times so as soon as I accepted that we are engaged, I'm going to marry this person, then I was 100% all in Got and it. just, yeah, like, and just let myself totally fall in love with that person. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very, very, very committed and very loyal and very, because that it, I kept hearing like, you're not going to make it. Like, you're just mm. going to give up and find someone who God hasn't called to singleness for a mm. season. And so I'm just like, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah, And I am going to be that loyal person that you've never had in your life before that never, never lets you go because I was never, it was never communicated that I don't want you. It was communicated that God won't let me have you right now. Right. And so, because that was the narrative and the phrasing, I'm just like, okay, well, you love me. I love you. God told us we're going to get married. So we're going to have faith um, and trust in Jesus. And I had so many people just really kind of lay into me later going, why did you, why did you do that? you like, if, if you know that X, Y, Z was happening in the background, cause I'm, I'm skipping a lot of details. Yeah. Why didn't you just walk out and never look back? I couldn't because it was tied to my salvation and right. that sounds crazy, but it's all, it was all tied into God's will, trusting right. God, leaning on God, obeying God, mm-hmm. standing on his promises. And so for me to have walked out of that, or even given up hope would it be to to fail God? Yeah, because it was so spiritual. Oh my goodness! So all this to say, yeah. So then I go. So while we're in this like freeze, secret disengagement, I go to Albania. I work as a missionary. I backpack Europe. Um, I come back, and long story short, when I was on my way back to the states, I just I found out so much stuff so Mm. quickly i'm usually a very emotionally stable person yeah and because of what i found out through social media of all things on my layover back from being a missionary oh really (laughs) to coming back to the states to do an internship for holiness church Mm. i broke down in public in an Mm. airport a large airport uncontrollably sobbing and shaking the it worst was, place for that. The worst. I was so embarrassed. I yeah. could not help myself. It was bad. I found out so much so quickly. I had random people, come, total strangers coming up and giving me hugs. It was it was a very humiliating experience. And this was stuff you found out about your church or your engagement or the, the person. Okay. The okay, engagement yeah. and the the person. Long story short, that he he had moved on so long before in our engagement. Yeah, I, I could have guessed. I could have guessed. Yeah. It was God's will, so, though. I don't know. Who knows? Hey, you know what? I just look back and I'm like, what on earth was that hoping? I don't mm-hmm. know. But anyways, yeah. yeah. So I had lived, basically, I'd been living in an illusion. And I it just hit me. And um, when that all fell apart, this person finally told me that, well, I never loved you. I just loved who I thought you were. Oh no. Which of course goes back to that whole that whole like we never got to know each other. Yeah. You didn't know who I was. We never talked. Right, right. So 
it went back to all that stuff but those words were such a sharp knife and i'm Mm. i'm grateful for that we had a very 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 hurtful conversation with the pastor and pastor's wife but i am so glad it happened sure because for the first time it was like oh i couldn't stand you it was just like oh i and and for this first time it wasn't about god it was Mm -hmm. about the other person legitimately didn't want to marry me and i did not know that until that conversation And as painful as that conversation was it gave me so much closure yeah and so much okay now i can i can get rid of these feelings can finally leave i can move on yes it was such a relief so it's a painful conversation but it was i'm so grateful for it because i finally got to move on and you know, it finally is, it was very difficult to disentangle that from God. Sure. But finally, for the first time, it was that person doesn't want to marry me instead of God is just playing games with my heart. Right. But in that conversation, yeah, like I said, it was, I, I never loved you. I loved who I thought you were. But those words, I just, just stuck in me. I don't even know how to mm. explain it. And I started to look around at my whole holiness world, my holiness mission supporters, the holiness church I was interning at, my holiness friends, my holiness. And I, like I already said, I grew up in a broken home. And so there were people in holiness, multiple families who basically took me in, let me yeah. stay at their house, tell me like, you know, we're like your parents or we're like your siblings. And that I was very, very close to. Yeah. And I still love those people. But I, I just started looking around at all that I had, all the connections all the ministry opportunities and just wondering, I wonder if anyone really loves me or if hmm. they just love who they think I am. Because remember, I wasn't being transparent about what I actually believed. Right. Which to me, I was like, I, I didn't understand how that was wrong originally. Cause I'm just like, I'm just being respectful of you. I don't sure. want to upset. I don't want to rock the boat. I'm going to follow all these standards. So why should I tell you that I don't believe they're biblical? But in that moment, when I was down so low, I just, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't let go of that. So I finally, I had to know how would they treat me if they knew my true beliefs. Mm-hmm. So privately, one-on-one, I talked to some of the leaders and I explained, you know, I don't believe this is a salvation requirement. I believe that there are Christians who are saved legitimately, who do not follow these standards, who are not part of yeah. our movement. I believe the, the body of Christ is bigger. And it was very respectful. It was very polite. Honestly, it was very timid. Sure. Because oh, sure. I was kind of scared. Understandable. Um, I'm just yeah. like, I just need you to know this. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it was hard stop, cold turkey. You're out. Mm. You have been deceiving the movement. You have been taking money for missions work, which, you know, I wasn't, I, I never had spoken up against their standards. No one even yeah. knew my belief. So the missions work was legitimately spreading the gospel, helping right. others to spread the gospel. But that was deceitful and wrong because they should have known that I didn't believe it in my heart. Phone calls were made (laughs) across the Mm -hmm. movement. Letters, anonymous letters were written about me that were just totally wrong. Just like, just lies. It was crazy. And I had, because of clues I found in the letter, I had good reason to believe it was some of those authorities who I talked to privately that were just going out to make sure I could never serve in holiness ministry again. And that was very clearly communicated that I I never could. Um, and so I'm just like, well, my heart is in ministry and missions work and serving others and sharing the gospel. So I've got to have a faith community where I'm allowed to do that. Mm. And then the other thing was I was living at the church where I was interning and they gave me a week and a half to move out. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And I had been yeah. Bible school student, 
missionary intern I did not I could not pay rent I did have like a side job part-time at Mardell bookstore but when you're making like in the hundreds a month you can't pay an apartment rent that's like a thousand some dollars so what that turned into was about three months three and a half of me trying to make sure I do the math wrong don't lie it was two and a half. Anyway, somewhere in there yeah. of me uh, living in my car and wow. staying with strangers. And then once I, you know, traveled several states over, staying with my family a little bit and just, yeah, just kind of homeless and wandering and trying not to overstay my welcome anywhere where I tried to figure out what am I going to do with my life? Mm. Ended up out in Colorado because this is kind of funny. I, I had to go somewhere. All my connections were in holiness. And mm-hmm. so I know I had to start totally from scratch over. And I'm sitting there looking at a map going, where do I want to move and restart my life? And I think 80995, which is the Adventures in Odyssey zip code. Which <laughs> some people may recognize. So I'm like, I'm going there because that sounds like a happy place. Perfect. So I literally moved to a state where I knew not a soul. I had never been to Colorado before because 80995. And restarting my life, I found a Craigslist ad. Only time I've ever responded to Craigslist in my life. Yeah. It was for the boondocks of Colorado. Somebody was living in a trailer and they had a room in their trailer in the boondocks that I could rent. Oh, man. And that was what I could afford. (laughs) And you're still alive today to tell the story. And I'm still alive to tell the story. (laughs) So, yeah, that was good times. But that was... That whole thing, I wouldn't take any of it back because that's, I think God knew that's what it would take for somebody like me to get out of that movement. That is, that is what it took. Right. It had to be drastic. It did because I, and again, it goes back to like, I am loyal to a fault. (laughs) So like, Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I would have ever walked out on my own. They really had to slam the door for me to leave, but it was, I'm so glad they did. It's very resonant. And that's a, a, a very overt example of a very resonant idea, which is how foundational so many of the elements of, I mean, any organization, but in this case, a spiritual community or church, how foundational, not just the ideas or beliefs or practices, but the people, the social circles, the financial stability, the, the whatever else, the community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, how foundational they can be in our lives for every other branch. And when that's gone, all of a sudden, then we all of a sudden have nothing to root our life in because every aspect of our life was rooted in some way in a pillar or foundational element found in that spiritual community or church. And when you think about that, I mean, for me, the first thing I think of is I understand why people don't leave Mm -hmm. because there's, there's so much to lose, right? Let alone your salvation, right? but also so many more immediate, tangible things to lose. And it's one thing not to see the cracks, but it's another to see the cracks and be like, I can't face that because if I do, there's going to be so many other things that I'll need to figure out that I'll lose and have to start over with. Oh yeah. So it's commendable when people do, you know, because it takes a lot. Okay. So kind of going off this, I wanted to bring this up. Uh, I was on Instagram a couple days ago and I saw a post that you guys had shared. It was a video of a pastor on a Sunday service, I presume. And I presume also he was in the holiness movement. Yes. Okay. And he's going on about 
deceivers and threats to your faith and being wary of elements and people who can pull you away from the church and from God. And he says this remark about your brother's name you've mentioned is is named Nathan. Mm -hmm. And he's going on about the different things that could pull you away from God. And he's going on about different things. And he goes, you know, like the Natalies and the Nathans just throws it out there to this congregation of people as a thing, as people who are clear threats to their faith. And he had some line about something about demons and wolves. Do you remember what, what he said? It it was, I don't know the exact quote, but it was about us being wolves, that we're right. wolves and they're coming after your children and mine. Right. I don't remember that part. Right. Right. He was saying, he was all, all sweaty up there and worked up and he was saying, they're coming after your children and mine. It was just abrasive and a shock to me. And I know this unfortunately happens more often than just this occasion, but at first I thought when I saw it that that was your former pastor, but it turns out you didn't even know him, right? Mm-mm, never met him. That's wild. So just because you left the movement and are now speaking out against the harmful effects of not just holiness churches, but any unhealthy spiritual environment, you're now a threat to these people. And I don't really know what my question is. Um, I, I guess maybe did it affect you at all? How did it make you feel? Did has this happened before? Uh, how, how, what was that receptivity of it for you? Um, so that's happened a lot. Sure. Yeah. So at this point, especially when it's people I don't know, I find it kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, oops, you just hurt yourself. Let me publish that for you. Right. <laughs> because it really, it's going to be their unraveling the way that they treat people behind pulpits. Um, and when we can share that publicly, you know, it's not about hurting them, but it's about exposing the harmful behavior that they are regularly engaging in right it's because they can't defend their beliefs because their beliefs aren't biblical their Mm. their arguments for them are not selling people yeah just people aren't buying it anymore because it's such a stretch so instead they have to silence Mm. the opposition they have to isolate their people even further so that they do not look at resources that would cross-examine them so this is the exact opposite of you know, the name Berean holiness comes from the Bereans in Acts 1711. Yeah. And the the author called them more noble because they were cross-examining what Paul taught and they were searching the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. Right. So in the Bible, cross-examination is encouraged, mm-hmm. but these leaders, because their arguments will not stand when you look them up and you cross-examine with the Bible, they're they're going to fall because they are weak. So instead, they have to just make sure you don't cross-examine, that you don't yeah. question the man of God. That's actually in a longer version of that that clip. He says people are questioning the man of God. Yeah, <laughs> because I want to know if the man of God is lining up with the word of God. But the problem right. is the man of God has been put on the same level as the word of God, if not higher. Mm. Because I, I would honestly argue higher because what he says matters more than what the bible says when it comes down to it Mm. and so because of because of all that yeah they're just they're just trying to isolate their people and it's so obvious it's so obvious what they're doing especially when they will just blast people by name over the pulpit yeah and it's it's crazy there's another there's another minister who made a 90 minute youtube video about brian holiness against brian holiness this summer and in his video He said that for a woman, myself, to question a man of God, and he named 
some preacher that I'd responded to. Yeah. Um, for me to question a man like that, even if I was right, he said, that's enough to send me to hell. Oh my God. Yes. It's just wild. The, the level that they put themselves at the, um, yes. I don't know if, if unreproachability is a word, but that's my, I think it's a word. It, it, they're, they're unreproachable. Un- unfallible, infallible. Right. Exactly. Basically. Yeah, and in another part of that same video, that that same minister said that you better you're walking on thin ice if you mm. cross examine his sermons because just by chance he was anointed by the Holy Ghost by cross examining his sermon and seeing if it lines up with the Word of God, you could be blaspheming the Holy Ghost, which is an unforgivable sin. And so that's how he twisted that to mm. fear tactics. Did he say that? He said, on the chance that he is? On the chance that he's anointed of the Holy Ghost. Oh, gosh. Just the fear-mongering. It's, oh, yes. It's crazy. And it's such a big point you brought up. When you said, when you can't defend what you believe, you attack those who speak up against it. Mm-hmm. The dissenters, basically. Anyone who cross-examine it. Right. And when, when you're afraid of people under your influence being exposed to differing beliefs or viewpoints that could potentially trump yours you make sure they're not exposed to it and that they're even afraid to be exposed to it Mm -hmm. and like in these scenarios it's all fear and it works because these people these congregations these church members etc are convinced of the risk that those beliefs pose the things they could lose right their salvation their community etc 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 and it's just such a damaging mindset structure oh yeah and you you have such a fragile salvation like you're you're yes. dangling by a thread your whole life always fragile salvation i love that you're always always one step from stepping out of the boundary lines of of safe of safety safe belief of what god's grace covers all right so we've been talking about berean holiness your organization would you take a few minutes here to tell us more about what it is, what you guys do, maybe what your inspiration is in doing it, and what your what the central message is that you hope to present through the work you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. So when Brian Holiness started, it was started under the very naive pretense that these people legitimately just thought I threw out the Bible. I was really grieved by the fact that my family um, and others and people I, you know, just grown up with for decades thought I was lost. Um, right. That I, and that I'm just rebelling against Christ, against scripture, that I took it upon myself to write out studies of my belief, just take what I had found and just write it out. Okay, what does the Bible say holiness is? Let's, let's yeah. cross-examine our concept of holiness versus the passages in the Bible about holiness. Um, and my brother, Nathan, started writing for it. And so he cross-examined like women's pants and um, can women trim their hair, this kind of stuff. So we published that. And I didn't think that people would just change their minds. I didn't even sure. want them to change their minds. I didn't care yeah. what they believe or what they do personally. But I just wanted them to see that we were good faith people, that we'd only changed our beliefs because of the word of God. Mm. And I just wanted them to see that this is a valid another valid interpretation and they might not agree with it, but they could see our point of view, understand where we're coming from and understand our motives were pure and we're still Christians. Yeah. Um, and I really just wanted to be able to fellowship holiness believers still. So that's where I started from. But of course, in a hyper fundamentalist culture, <laughs> that is not how that's going to go over. It was like, 
you would have thought I just vandalized five of their top churches with cherry bombs or something. Mm. Like I was attacking <laughs> them. I was the devil. Mm-hmm. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> like prophecies against me and just, oh it was gosh. pretty insane. People told to cut me off who were still talking to me. Just craziness. Yeah. And so that really opened my eyes to see the the deeper problems yeah. and the behavior that was wrong, not just the beliefs. Mm-hmm. And just hundreds and by now thousands of people were reaching out and saying, hey, I identify with this. I yeah. This resonates with me. And I also, I, I saw other people leave our group as well. And because they never understood true Christianity and they thought they, you know, we've been all sold the lie that this is the best God's got. We're the best people in right. the world. This is the cream of the crop. The rest of Christianity is lost and, and just sliding off the deep end. And so we were the epitome of Christianity. And the problem is people kept believing that. Mm-hmm. And they said, if this is the epitome of what Christianity is, I want nothing to do with it. Which makes sense. It makes sense. We can't, we can't even blame their, you know, line of logic there. No. And so they would leave faith entirely. And I saw quite a few people end up in, in a mess. And it was, it was really sad how sin affected their lives and just giving up faith, of course. Mm-hmm. So I, but at that point I determined, okay, I can't reform from the inside, but I want to be a lifeline and work at the lighthouse and just help people who are leaving these movements or who are still in them, but they're so concerned because they're about to lose everything. Yeah, We want to provide them first education, because if you study your way out, if it is the Bible that changes your mind, yeah, um, if you are searching for the true gospel and historical Christianity and why you leave your chances of landing in the historic christian faith and thriving in christ are so much higher than if you believe the holiness uh, lies and then you just leave because it's such a toxic environment that's Mm -hmm. (laughs) backfiring on you if that's why you leave you'll probably deconstruct and leave faith entirely and never rebuild faith and there's so many deconstructionists out there who are just Mm -hmm. so willing to tell you, yes, that is all Christianity is. They're all a cult. They're all this, that, and the other. So come join me in the new age. Um, Cause that's totally scientific (laughs) slight sarcasm. So yeah. So I, I really wanted to be, um, have a parachurch ministry that is never supposed to replace the local church. We will never have a, a church. We'll never have a denomination or anything like that. But just a parachurch ministry that comes along people who are leaving and our mission statement. So this is our central message in a nutshell is guiding believers out of fear and shame and into the gospel of grace. That's what we want to do. We want to help the people who are leaving hyper fundamentalism, introduce them to the historic Christian faith and the biblical gospel and help them get plugged into local healthy faith community, hopefully local churches where they can sit under you know good expositional solid teaching and feel the love of christ in the love that comes from healthy community Mm -hmm. that's our goal for people so how we do that of course it started with the articles we still put out articles on our website which is bereanholiness.com we did a season of a podcast earlier this year that's the not a shame podcast season one has wrapped up now but that's out there 
Um, it talks about like identity in Christ and what is faith community supposed to look like and what is biblical holiness, all these good topics. You've had some guests on there that have been on this show. So listeners, yeah. go check out some of our shared guests. Yes. So we have that resource. And we also have, of course, the Facebook page and the Instagram. We have a YouTube channel. It needs a lot of work. So <laughs> subscribe, but don't look at it yet. <laughs> We're working on that. Uh, we also have support. So what that looks like is private forums that people can join and they can support each other. We're trying to connect more people together, especially if you're in local areas. We've had some yeah. meetups that have been helpful with that. And we've also, a big thing we've done is community groups. And so that looks like six to eight week studies um, once a week on Zoom. For, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, one or two hours. We've had 21 community groups uh, so far, but we're having to step back and restructure because we actually couldn't meet the demand. So wow. we need more scalable resources. So instead, we're looking at developing curriculum that is online. And we uh, it'd be so neat if churches could to get that curriculum from us and then host their own in-person mm. groups um, if they have people that have been affected by this. So we've got lots of plans for the future. Of course, we'd love to expand into to books and, and all the deep content, but it's going to take a lot of work. We also had a conference this past year. The Cultish Guys were our keynote speakers. Oh, that's cool. It was it was great. So glad uh, to have that content and looking forward to sharing that with people as well. Would love to love to have future events. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. My, my first thought was, I love the mission statement. My second thought was, you know, going through the whole process of having to discern and, and untangle all of the different things that you've learned and thought were true and now realize aren't as healthy as you thought they were. When you're going through that or coming out of that, it can mean the world to talk to somebody who's experienced the same things as you. Absolutely. Even if they have nothing to offer you, just because you don't have to feel like you have to explain yourself so thoroughly because they understand where you are and where you've been. So then to have a place to go where the people have been through the same things you have and know where you are mentally, spiritually, emotionally, but also have stuff to offer you, mm -hmm. that's just the next step in in value for that person. So I really love what you guys are doing, what you're offering to people. So I'll make sure to link, I'll link your, uh, your Instagram, which is just chock full of so much, so many useful, helpful posts, just outlining things like healthy versus unhealthy churches, dissecting individual beliefs and practices and really discerning and trying to figure out, is this healthy? Is this biblical? Such good stuff on there. So I'll link your Instagram. I'll link your Facebook. I'll link your website. I'll link your podcast. It's all great stuff. So guys, go check out whatever you feel like you'd be most interested in. And the final question, the question I ask every guest on this show, this podcast and my book are all about our crumpled papers, which is the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty, but at some point realized we needed to reevaluate our perspective on. So my question for you is, what is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn or gain a new understanding of? Yeah. So for me, I think one of the most significant was what does it mean to please God and the whole mm. idea of trying to earn his favor, huge. earn his love. That was that was a huge one for me. Um, and I'm so, so, so grateful. I've I think I'm still learning to find even more remnants of that in my life and like, okay, let's throw that away too. Yeah. Um, like I'm still, I'm still sifting it out of myself because it was so deeply ingrained. Mm -hmm. But I remember one moment that that happens where 
it was a significant step in the right direction. I had uh, recently moved away from the holiness movement. It was while I was in Colorado. Mm -hmm. I was sitting in a non-denominational church service and he was talking about legalism and he was talking about um, the minister that is about pleasing God. And he said, if you've believed on Christ, you're, you know, you're, you're trusting in him for, you have faith and trusting in him for salvation. Then you're a child of God. And as an adopted child of God, you please God. He is pleased mm. with you. And I started just, just kind of spontaneously crying. Like I wasn't, yeah. like I'm just sitting there stone faced and my, <laughs> my tears dripping down, like, no way, no way. Like you have to, you have to earn God's favor, right? Like you have to keep mm-hmm. all these crazy standards and his will is a mystery. That's a 180. Yeah. Like I'm so used to his will being something that I'm just like, kind of feeling around in the darkness like is that right. your will is that your will but if i get it wrong then like i've ruined god's will for my life right mm-hmm. and so I, i'm so used to that dynamic and this idea of god loves me just just because and not even just love because i kind of had this distorted view of love at the time too where it's like sure yeah i love you because i have to but i really don't like you and that was kind of how i felt god felt towards me quite a bit mm-hmm. because i didn't feel like Okay, yeah, he loves me because he's God, but I didn't I haven't done enough yet for him to really like me. Like I've got to I've got to really step up my game. And this is I mean, I I went to crazy extremes to try to be spiritual. Like I wasn't yeah. breaking the rules. I was keeping every single rule and and doing stuff like fasting for days without food and water as you know, uh, already underweight because I'm just trying to earn God's favor. Right. And so that that idea right there of nope God likes you and loves you mm-hmm. and he's pleased with you because you are his adopted child with faith in Christ and just just having a heart that wants to do his will. He is so pleased with that and we don't have to do all these works in order for him to right. smile on us, but he smiles on us because we're his children and he cares about us. And that was that was radical for me. That is one of if not the most common 180 people come to terms with in terms of their dynamic with their relationship with God that often comes as a result of leaving an unhealthy church or mentality or environment and entering a new one, a healthy one. But it's just letting go of that transactional works-based dynamic where we have to earn something. And I love what you said about that dichotomy of knowing God loves us because I mean, if you're going to walk into any church on any given Sunday, that's the thing you're going to hear. Hopefully, I mean, even in churches that don't live that out, you're going to hear that, that God loves us. You're just going to because it's in, it's everywhere. And it's one of those givens like, oh yeah, God loves me. Cool. And of course that's valuable and that matters, but it can often be like, I know this is a similar dynamic sometimes with, with parents, you know, certain kids who, who know their parents love them because they're their parents. It's their blood. It's mm-hmm. their lineage. It's they're almost their duty to love them and they do but it's that question of man you know my mom and dad they they love me sure like they give their life for me but do they like me do they enjoy me do they enjoy being around me do they enjoy who i am and knowing that yeah god loves us more than anything but he also likes us more than anything those mm-hmm. are two very different things and we oftentimes just conflate love to a higher degree of like but they are different 
and I'm so glad you made that distinction. That's all I got. Natalie, this has been such a great conversation. I'm so glad that I came across your guys' Instagram page and that you wanted to come on and talk. So thank you so much for being on today. Thanks for having me. I also enjoyed the conversation. Love it. Guys, that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with episode eight of season two. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you there. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.